I want to tell you a story about a dad and his son. Um, when the mom and dad first found out they were pregnant, of course, they were excited, and it was a time of great joy for them, and they could not help but ask, you know, the questions that everybody asks when you're pregnant, you know, is, is our child going to grow up and be healthy, and is he going to grow up and look like you, or grow up and look like me and be pretty, you know, you, well, you, you just wonder those kinds of questions. And uh, they lived in a more primitive time, these, these parents, and so uh, they, they didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl, and when it, the child was born, it was a son, and that was really meant a lot to the dad. He had a son. And um, when the child was about four years old, or four months old, um, they noticed that there's something that wasn't quite right. It was almost like the child didn't cry, not, not the way that we would cry, or you hear a normal baby crying, that, and the child didn't really seem to, to react to noise. One day the mom dropped a a, a jar and it shattered on the floor and the child didn't even move, the son didn't even move. And that's when they realized that their son was deaf. And so they went to the smartest man in their little village, the rabbi, and they asked the rabbi, what, what are we supposed to do? It seems like our, our son is deaf and it seems like our son doesn't speak. What are we supposed to do? And the, the rabbi said, well, if, if you have enough faith, pray hard. Pray hard for God to heal your son. And so they began to pray. They began to pray that God would, would, would help their son hear and help their son speak, and nothing happened. So they went back to the rabbi and said, well, that's not working. And he said, well, maybe you're not, maybe you're not doing enough. Maybe, maybe you should go to Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice there and, um, you know, then let that be a sign to God of your faith. And so, you know, going to Jerusalem is not an easy trip. It took about a week, but they did it. They took their child and they took a, a lamb down to Jerusalem and they, they offered a sacrifice and the priest prayed a prayer over them. And all the way home, they're kind of looking to see, you know, a sign. Did it work? Did it work? Is the child here? Is the child able to speak now? And nothing. And so they went back to the rabbi and said, you know, what are we supposed to do? And they said, well, try it again. So they went back to Jerusalem and they made several trips and offered sacrifices and still nothing's happening and they're praying every night and their child isn't getting better. In fact, he's starting to get worse. When he was about four, he began to have these seizures and, and he would all of a sudden begin to convulse and shake violently and, and he would foam at the mouth, he would grind his teeth and then he would fall out become rigid. It took a while before him to come back. And can you imagine how hard it would be if that happened, if your child could, could hear and, and speak. But they, they don't have any way to communicate with this son. That, and, and so they go back to the rabbi and say, what are we supposed to do? And he said, well, I heard, I heard about these faith healers. And, and they, they go around sometimes and they heal people. Maybe you could try one of those. So they hear about a faith healer in a nearby village. They go and they, they show the boy to the faith healer and says, ooh, tough case. And, and he asked for his fee up front. And then he prayed over the child. He recited some incantations and he invoked the name of Solomon and nothing. Nothing. So they go back to the rabbi. So the faith healer didn't work. We'll try another one. So they heard about another faith healer in another town. They went to that faith healer. Nothing. 
Then they heard about a doctor on the coast. And so they went to the coast and, and the doctor ooh, said, ooh, this is the toughest case I've ever seen. Why don't you try going up to the healing pools at Laodicea and let him soak in the healing pool up there and maybe that will work. <laughs> the parents are going, Laodicea, are you kidding? That's a, hundreds of miles from here. You might as well ask us to go to the moon. And every night, the parents who used to, you know, in the early days of pregnancy would, would kind of do this. Who's our child going to grow up to be? Is he going to be a farmer? Is he going to be a rabbi? Is he going to marry one of the girls here in town or marry one of the rich cousins that are kind of distant? Every night now, they're looking at each other and they're not even having a conversation, the mom and dad. They're, they're just looking at each other going, how long? How long can we hold on? Because they're not getting any rest. I mean, every night when they go to sleep, it's, it's not really sleep. They're half awake and half sleeping, listening to see if he's going to have a seizure in the night. The seizures are getting worse. You know, when the, when the kid was small, the dad could just kind of hold him and contain him. But now he's, he's 10, 11 years old. He's gotten big. And, and they, they seem to have exhausted every possibility. Maybe you're a parent and you have been exactly where that mom and dad were. It may have happened when your child was sick and you felt desperate and you were willing to try anything, go to any length, go to any doctor you could hear about. Maybe, maybe it wasn't then, maybe it was when your child was a teenager and was making all the wrong choices and and you were trying everything you knew to try to get them to go the right direction and they weren't going the right direction. Or, or maybe it was when your child was in their 20s and they were about to marry the wrong person and you knew it was the wrong person and yet you were powerless to stop them. Or maybe it was when your child was in their 30s and they were bitter and resentful and blaming you for all the unhappiness in their lives. Or maybe it was when your child was in their 50s and was diagnosed with cancer and you felt desperate. One day, that dad heard about a man named Jesus, a new rabbi, and he was told this man can heal any sickness and this man can drive out any unclean spirit, any demon. And the dad in desperation gathers his son and, and leads him to where he'd heard Jesus was. And Jesus wasn't there. He was up on the mountain of transfiguration with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they've had this amazing spiritual experience. But the dad goes to the disciples and said, can you do anything? And this is where we pick up the story. It's in the gospel of Mark chapter nine. If you have a Bible, please turn to Mark chapter nine. We're also gonna put this up on the screens. And a little bit of biblical background. Um, when Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the same story, usually Mark gives us the condensed version. Mark usually shortens up what Matthew and Luke tell us, but not this time. This time, what we're given is the longest account of this miracle that will occur. Why? Well, scholars tell us that Mark got his stories of Jesus from Peter, 
Peter who would have been an eyewitness to this. And apparently when Peter told this story to Mark, he told it in such a way that Mark said, this is so compelling. I really, I've got to capture this. So let's pick up at verse 14. When they, that is Peter, James, John, and Jesus, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Literally in Greek, they did not have the power. And so Jesus comes down from the mountain, and naturally when he sees his disciples arguing with these religious scholars, he says, what are you arguing about? And they don't answer Instead, this dad steps out from the crowd, probably with his son tucked in under his arm. And he says, I, I brought my son. And he's possessed by this spirit. And, and he describes all these horrible symptoms. And then this key phrase, he says, I, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything. They didn't have the power to do anything. And that should strike us as odd. Because earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus had sent out his disciples and he gave them the power to heal the sick and to drive out demons. And when they reported back, they said, we heal the sick and even the evil spirits, they obeyed our commands given in your name. So the disciples were able to do this before. Why can't they do it now? And I wonder what the dad felt. I wonder what the dad felt in that moment. It's like, oh, another disappointment. Another hope that is dashed. Another time when I went and said, I hope it'll work this time. It doesn't. I wonder... If the religious scholars are there with their hands on their hips going, well, if you said the incantation right, it would have worked. I wonder if the demon inside of the boy is laughing, saying, yeah, that doesn't work on me. And Jesus' response is a little odd, isn't it? In, in verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So who's he talking to when he says, you unbelieving generation? Is he talking to the dad? I don't think so, because he's going to have some pretty significant interaction with the dad. Is he talking to the disciples or the religious scholars? Maybe. Or is he talking to the whole generation of people, that whole big crowd that's around him? And he's saying, I don't get you people. Why are you putting up with evil? Why are you accepting evil as status quo? How long do I have to be with you until you get it that I have come to cast the evil out of the world? 
I wonder if Jesus ever gets really frustrated with us. You think he ever gets frustrated with our generation? How long are you people going to put up with the evil in this world? How long are you going to take this passive approach? Are you just going to keep arguing on Twitter instead of praying? And then Jesus, with a voice of command, says, bring the boy to me. See, whenever Jesus sees evil, he doesn't go passive. Now look, if you will, in verse 20. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That's interesting. The boy comes into Jesus' presence, and, and all of a sudden the spirit throws him into another convulsion. And, and the word that is used here actually means to disintegrate. It means to pull apart, to tear apart, because that's what evil does. Evil tears you apart. That's why some of you today feel like your soul is being torn apart. We don't usually think in these terms, but it's important to remember, not that you have a soul, but you are a soul. And the evil that exists in us wants to pull us apart. And the evil that is out in this world is helping that. They have tied on ropes and they want you to be a disintegrated being. And that evil is so strong, it will take the power of Jesus to overcome that evil and drive it out. Jesus asked, how long has the boy been like this? Well, why does Jesus ask that? Surely Jesus knows, right? No matter how much evil our heavenly father has seen, no matter how much evil Jesus sees, it still breaks his heart. It still troubles him. He looks at this boy. This is one of God's creatures. This is someone that God loves. How long has he been like this? Can you feel the exhaustion in the dad's voice? Ever since he was a child. I've often had to pull him out of the fire. The demon's thrown him into it. I've had to pull him out of the pond. The demon threw him into the water. The demon wants to kill him. The goal of evil is to destroy you. The goal of Satan is to destroy you. To keep you from the life your heavenly father wants you to have. And now there is this cry from the dad. If you have the power. I mean, your disciples said they had the power, but they didn't. But if you have the power, have compassion on us. And you can hear the dad, right? I mean, with, you can almost hear behind that all of what else he's not saying. Of, hey, we've, we've prayed as much as we know to pray. We've been to the temple. We've had the faith healers. We've had the doctors. We've done everything we know. You're our last hope. It is almost like Star Wars. Help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. 
Help us, Jesus. You're our only hope. And this is Jesus' response. And it's kind of, again, strange. He does not immediately say, okay. Instead, he says in verse 23, if you can. He's quoting the dad back to the dad. The dad says, if you can. Jesus says, what do you mean if you can? Everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, I really wish I knew the tone in Jesus' voice for the first part. I mean, is Jesus being sarcastic? What do you mean, if you can? Don't you know who I am? But I don't think that was Jesus' tone. I don't. I think it was more with a chuckle. (laughs) If I can. (laughs) Yeah, I made the universe. (laughs) Now let's talk about what I can do. And then Jesus gives us this amazing clue. He says, everything is possible for the one who believes. What does he mean by that? He simply means if you do not believe that God can do something, you'll never ask. And I wonder how many of us, we we think of our life and we think of our problems and we keep thinking about how are we gonna solve this, but we we forget to even ask. We forget to even say, hey God, can you do something about this situation? Can you do something about this person? Can you do something about this illness? Can you do something about this situation? See, until, until you believe that God's power is actually accessible to you, you're not even gonna ask. Now, do you think that the dad has not had faith until now? I don't think so. I mean, he's got faith enough to bring the boy to Jesus. I think Jesus is giving the dad an opportunity to really grow in his faith. And that sounds so churchy. I know, it sounds so churchy. But this is very much like another story that Mark tells, and Mark tells it in great detail. Do you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood? Jesus is on his way to heal this other person, and there's a woman, she's had an issue of blood. Um, uh, We would now probably call it some sort of uh, menstrual bleeding for a long, long period of time, for 12 years. And she's, we're told by Luke that she suffered at the hands of many doctors because in those days, the way that they thought you cured bleeding was to cut you so you'd bleed some more and that would make you anemic, that's suffering. And so the woman says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And so she sneaks up into the crowd, she touches the hem of his garment and she is healed instantly. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And you got to ask, don't you think Jesus knew who touched him? I think he did. His disciples are kind of like, come on, Lord, the crowd is all bumping into you. Why are you even asking? Why does Jesus want to know who touched him? And the woman trembling comes out and says, it was me. And what does Jesus say to her? How dare you come to me for healing without the proper steps? That's not what he says. What does he say? Go in peace. Your faith has healed you, has made you whole, has reintegrated you. I think that's what's happening here for the dad. That's why Jesus is doing this whole dialogue with him. Remember, every time you come to Jesus and you ask for that miracle, it's not just a chance for you to say, hey, Jesus, I need this. It's also a chance for Jesus to say, look, 
we're going to grow your soul. Because faith is a decision. Faith is a choice. You don't just fall into faith. It doesn't just happen by accident. It is a decision of your entire soul coming to Jesus. People still will say, if you just have enough faith, uh, you can do miracles. I, I don't think that's right. It, it, it makes it sound like there's this great big faithometer in heaven with your name on it. And when you pray, God looks at your faithometer and says, okay, you've got to have 25 pounds of pressure to be able to get this miracle. Oh, you're peeking out at 23. Sorry. Yeah, missed it by two pounds. Come back next time. Get a, little more, get a little more pressure, faith pressure in your prayers. You think God works that way? God does miracles because it is his will and his power and because of his love. Yes, you've got to have faith that God can do these things. Everything's possible if, for those who believe, but, but the, the miracle doesn't come because I have enough faith. The miracle comes because God has enough power. And I love the dad's response. Dad says, immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, I, 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 the scholars want to kind of make this as clean as they can, but this is really the way it comes out in Greek. The boy's father screamed. He didn't just exclaim. Why would you scream at Jesus unless you were desperate? And what does he scream? He literally in Greek screams this. I have faith. But hurry up and help my unfaith. I, I believe. Hurry up and help the part of me that doesn't believe. That is an honest prayer. And there will come a time in your life when you will pray just that way. And for some of you, it's already happened. And I promise you, it's not just going to happen once in your life. And some of you, things have gone pretty well, and you haven't ever had to pray a prayer like that. But you will. When you'll have to confess to your heavenly Father, you don't have enough faith. Uh, Dwight Moody was a famous American evangelist Uh, back in the 1800s, and he said that there were three kinds of faith. There was struggling faith. Struggling faith, kind of like this dad. He's swimming in deep water. He's just trying to keep his head above water. He's trying not to drown, and he's getting weaker. He's just barely hanging on. That's struggling faith. The second kind of faith, Moody said, was clinging faith. Clinging faith is when you reach the side of the boat, and you are clinging to the boat. It's, It's like you're not in as much danger but you're still pretty desperate. And then Moody said the third kind of faith is resting faith, where you're in the boat and you're resting. And you finally have enough strength to reach out and help someone else get in the boat. Struggling faith, clinging faith, resting faith. Where's your faith this morning? I know that some of you really like Jesus. 
but there's things that you have trouble with, right? You, you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you actually believe what he taught. And you may even believe that he rose from the dead and he was crucified for your sins. But, but when it comes to actually following Jesus, you struggle because it's like, well, if I follow Jesus, is my life just going to be dull and boring? Am I just gonna, what am I going to have to give up? Hey, the prayer of the dead should be your prayer. I believe, but help my unbelief. And some of you, maybe, maybe it is more than an intellectual thing. It's like, I have no problem believing that Jesus was a great teacher and that he was a real person. I even believe he died on the cross. But this whole resurrection thing, that just blows my mind. Hey, the dad's prayer can be your prayer. I believe this much, Lord. Help me in all the places where I don't believe. And maybe, maybe, maybe you grew up in church and it's like you, you actually do believe in Jesus, but you have struggles about the Old Testament. And it's like, well, did God really create the earth in six days? And, 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 and what, about, uh, what about all that violent war that they did? And, and the miracles, are the miracles really real? I don't know. You can pray and say, God, I believe this much. Help me in the places where I don't believe. That's an honest prayer. And it's not just maybe around intellectual belief. Maybe it's, maybe it's in the time when like people you love are, are hospitalized or, or they, they are struggling with cancer or, or maybe it is about your children, you know, and you're really struggling and you want good for your kids and that's just not happening. And God, I, be- I, I believe that you love my kids and I, I believe that you want good for them. I believe you love them more than I do and you, you have a better plan for their life than I do. Help my unbelief. I want you to see how compassionate Jesus is. Look in verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Can I pause here and just say, isn't this amazing? The spirit, we're told, is the deaf and mute spirit. But when Jesus speaks, that spirit has to listen. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. That's real important for me to say here. Not every child that is deaf, not every child that cannot speak, is possessed by an evil spirit. Not every child that has epilepsy is possessed by an evil spirit. But in this case, for reasons we cannot know and do not understand, in this case, this child was possessed by an evil spirit. And that spirit was trying to destroy that child's life. And Jesus speaks with authority. He says, come out, never enter that child's life again. And if you want to know what God's will is for your life, this is it. God's will for your life is that evil be driven out of you and that your soul be healed. That you're not disintegrating, but you're integrating. And you'll say, well, I think I'm doing okay. I think Satan has changed some of his strategy. Can I tell you what I think he does now? Rather than pull us apart by possession of demons, he kind of loosens us up. He makes us really love some 
some other things like comfort. It makes us really love some other things like, like a particular lifestyle, like some moral choices. He can make us self-centered and greedy. He can make us think that sex is everything that there is or that we need a substance to make us feel better and cope with our problems. And before we know it, little by little, our soul has disintegrated. That's what I see. You see it? That's not God's will for your life. Jesus wants you to have an integrated soul. And when the boy finally has the demon cast out of him, he has one final convulsion, and then he, he looks dead. And Jesus reaches down and takes his hand, and he raises him up, and that's the same Greek word that we translate in other places as resurrection. Because that's what happened. Boy who was dead now is alive. Who was sick is now healed. Now to be responsible with this story, I do have to tell you that we pray for miracles, but God is not our waiter. God does not come to our table and say, can I take your order, please? The other day I went to a, a, a fast food place. You've probably been there too. Chick-fil-A. But it wasn't here. Okay, it wasn't here. It wasn't here. And I ordered, I ordered a number one combo, right? Except they gave me the spicy chicken sandwich. It's spicy. Did I want to get in the line again and go all the way back around the building and get the right order? No, I didn't do that. Was I frustrated that I got the wrong order? Sure. But you see how Chick-fil-A has conditioned me? I expect to be able to give orders and for those to be done in the way that I want them done. But God doesn't work that way. God does miracles at his own timing, by his power, and according to his will. And this is the hardest thing of all because I've prayed for those miracles. I have prayed as hard as I know how to pray, and then that miracle doesn't happen, and that's when I have to trust that God is doing something more than what I can see and I cannot understand, and that is where faith becomes my choice. But just because we don't get the miracle that we want doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask. Billy Graham said that he thought that heaven would be filled with miracles that no one prayed for. We still need to ask. 
But I believe God is still in the miracle working business. And the greatest miracle of all is that he loves us so much and he knows us, even though we are but specks in this big cosmos. He loves us, he sent his son Jesus to die for us so our sins could be forgiven. And then he resurrected Jesus so we could have a bridge to a new life so that our souls could be healed of all of the sin sickness that is in us. And that happens when you invite Jesus into your life, when you give yourself to him. That's the greatest miracle of all. But there are other miracles out there I think we just, we just don't even notice. Every day an addict is sober, that, my friends, is a miracle. Every church building that exists is a miracle because it is built not by investments, but it's built by the faithful giving of God's people. This building, building at Pacala, these are miracles. I believe it is a miracle when medicine cures. Yes, a doctor may write the prescription and a pharmacist may fill it, but who do you think helped the research scientist discover it? I believe it's a miracle when the right leader rises at the right moment. I believe it's a miracle when an outnumbered army wins a battle against an invading enemy. I believe there are more miracles out there than you can imagine. But we don't see them because we don't praise God for them. So what miracle do you need to ask for today? Where do you need God to do something that only God can do? You know, I, 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 I hope this is true when we get to heaven. I don't know. But I really want to be able to talk to the dad. And I want to be able to, to ask the dad, well, what did you do? I mean, because he just sort of disappears from the scene. You know, did you, I mean, do you, do you had to teach the boy how to talk because he didn't know. What was, what was the first reaction when he heard your voice? And, and hey, when did you finally get a good night's sleep? Because I bet it wasn't the first night. Because don't you know, like the first night, the dad is afraid the miracle will wear off? Isn't that true? Like sometimes God does something amazing for you, and you almost are afraid to trust it because you're afraid it's not real. It takes time to trust miracles. Now Mark is going to add this real important addendum. In verse 28, he says, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. The disciples want to know, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus does not tell them, well, you couldn't do it because the man didn't have enough faith. Jesus does not say to them, well, you weren't getting the incantation correct. Jesus does not say to them, you didn't have the right arguments with the religious scholars. Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer. And you may wonder if prayer really works. Well, Jesus thought it did. And I wonder if Mark wrote all this down to, sell, to share with us, share this story with us about all the times that we're desperate, when we're desperate about our life situation, desperate about our families, desperate about our 
kids. And this story tells us to pray. To pray when we're desperate. 